Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Today, we're going to study verses 1 through 4 as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of this book of Hebrews. Friends, I invite you, if you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. The Lord Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Amen. Friends, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God, it stands forever. Pray with me, please. Our great and mighty God, as we come before the infallible and errant word of the living God, we recognize that its origin was not in man, but these men wrote and spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that it had its origins in God. That the Word of God is God-breathed. And Lord, we know it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, I pray that our minds and our hearts would be open today to receive it. Remove every distraction from this place that we might worship you through the preaching and proclamation of thy holy Word. Lord, if there is one amongst us who does not know Christ, we pray for his or her salvation. We pray for that one person who maybe have, has sat on the church pew or the seat within their congregation for years pretending to be a believer, yet all the while never knowing you. Lord, I pray today that we would all pay attention, that we would hear the warnings and the alarms that are being sounded by Scripture today, and that we would not drift away from you, but that we would pursue you, Lord Jesus, in all the great salvation that you have to offer. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Friends, please be seated. Start with a story this morning. For years growing up, my family would go to to Florida every year. We'd go to Daytona Beach, and I can remember some of the great times we would have as a family. I can remember sitting on the beach and, and building sandcastles with my mom and dad, I can remember riding the waves with uh, my brother. But I can also remember times where we would just go out into the ocean, much like these people here. We'd get out into the ocean, and we'd be about, you know, chest deep into the ocean. And the four of us, we would just hang out as a family. We would talk and laugh and, and just enjoy family time. And sometimes we'd do that 45 minutes, maybe almost up to to an hour. Well, I remember... Uh, one specific time we were in the ocean 
talking and, and hanging out, and we had been there for a while, and I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's time to get out now. I wanted to go some, do something different, so I went to get out of the ocean, and I looked in front of me, and I expected to see our, our beach chairs, but the chairs were nowhere to be seen. And all of us are looking, where, where's our stuff, right? Where, where's our chairs? And I bet you can guess what happened, can't you? Our whole family had drifted. We had drifted down, that, uh, down the ocean, down the, down the beach. In fact, we had drifted 75, almost 100 yards that day. And the thing about it was no one was really paying attention like none of my family knew that it was happening, but before we knew it, we have drifted almost a hundred yards away from where we thought we would be. Friends, I tell you the story today about drifting and drifting in the ocean because one of the main themes in our text today is drifting. But in Hebrews 2, it's not drifting in the ocean. In Hebrews 2, it's drifting away from Jesus. Did you know that the Bible talks about a group of people who say they are Christians? And to the outside world, they look like Christians, they act like Christians, they even talk like Christians. They might even be more faithful than some real Christians. But at some point in these people's lives, they start to take their eyes off of Jesus. They stop paying attention to Jesus and they start to drift and drift and drift. And these people drift so far away from Jesus that though they at one time appeared to be a believer, we find out they were never believers at all because ultimately they walked away from Jesus. The Bible calls this apostasy. Dr. Kruger gave a great definition of an apostate. Let's read that. He said, an apostate is someone who drifts away to the extent that they end up rejecting Jesus and proving themselves to be an unbeliever. Friends, apostasy is one of the main themes in this book of Hebrews. And the Bible specifically talks about it today. And what the Bible is telling us as believers is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Don't get so distracted that you start to drift away and end up a hundred yards from where you thought you should be. Pay attention lest we too drift away from Jesus. Friends, if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to look on the back with me right now. This text breaks down into three points about paying attention. The first one is we need to pay attention First of all, so that we don't drift away. Secondly, we need to pay attention because God is just. And thirdly, we need to pay attention because there is clear evidence of who Jesus is 
in the Word of God. So let's zoom in at verse 1. Let's reread verse 1 and let's talk about that first point. Paying attention so that you don't drift. Verse 1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. About... Well, it was the year 2000, Deirdre and I got married, and we both started as teachers. Um, I was, before coming here, I was a pastor and a teacher and a coach at Southlake Church and Southlake Christian Academy for 17 years. It's a, it's a PCA church up in the uh, uh, Lake Norman area, but I initially started as a, as a teacher there, as did Deirdre in the year 2000. And in that first year of teaching, you know, you're an excited teacher, you're, you're getting your lesson plans prepared, and you're getting ready for the day, and back then, Southlake didn't have a permanent building for, for uh, the school, so I, we were in a trailer, and that trailer was not well cooled or heated, and I remember teaching sixth grade math in a, in a hot trailer uh, to a bunch of sixth graders. And I remember thinking, man, I've got a great lesson plan for today. I've, I've got this down so that everyone's going to be involved and focused and, and paying attention, right? And I remember being in that hot trailer, that hot trailer up in Huntersville, teaching my sixth grade math. And guess what? I know you're going to be surprised, but it seemed like every week those kids weren't paying attention. What's wrong with my lesson plan? Yeah. I have a great lesson plan. And there's this one kid, y'all. I love this kid. I, I, he ended up playing football for me, being a kicker. But I would be teaching fractions, and I looked out, and he was like this. He was an airplane that day. He would lean his desk forward, lean it back. I, I just stopped class and watched him. I'm like, he is not paying attention. His mind is in another place. And, you know, he ended up suffering from not paying attention because you know what happened? His grades started to drift, right? Drift south, you know, from the A to the B. Oh, we're getting towards the D now. Oh, but he, he, he rebounded from that. But he was, he was drifting away because he did not pay attention. And his grades drifted because he did not pay attention. Well, friends, the Bible comes to us today and is telling us, you see it in the text, pay attention. Pay attention so that you don't drift away from Jesus. Do you remember the outline we looked at in Hebrews a few weeks ago? And we said that there's six warnings in this outline. So we've gotten through chapter 1, and we're right here at the beginning of chapter 2. Do you see the first warning? That was planned, okay? <laughs> Don't go anywhere. But you're going to remember that. That's why I did it. Listen. Some people say, oh, warnings are bad. It's negative language. The nicest thing God ever does for us, and he doesn't do it just once, but six times in this book, is that he gives us a warning. 
And right here, it's like the writer of Hebrews is waving the warning flag. Warning, warning. That buzzer should be going off in your head. And the, and the author is saying, pay attention. Warning, warning. You need to hear what I have to say. Well, what is the warning? And it's what we just talked about. Did you know that it is possible for someone to think that he or she is a Christian and even act like a Christian, but not be a Christian? Do you know this happens several times in the Bible? Blair just read about one of them a moment ago. You remember the story from John 12? Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. They're in Mary's house and she is so moved by her love for Jesus that she takes this expensive perfume and, it, and it breaks, she breaks it open and the smell starts to go all through the rooms of the house, down the hallway. And she sits down at the feet of Jesus and she, and she takes her hair and she begins to, to just wipe this perfume on Jesus' feet and sit there and worship Jesus. Do you remember that? And then one of the top 12, hear that, one of the top 12, one of the 12 disciples, his name is Judas, he was there observing this entire situation. And he said something that made everybody in the room think that he was a Christian. He made it sound intentionally to everyone in the room, that he is really a believer. And not only is he making it sound like he's a believer, he's, he's acting like he's interested in helping other people. So he's acting like he loves God and loves others. Okay? And he said, why was this perfume broken? We could have sold this and given it to others who really needed the money. To the outside world, he sounded like a Christian. He was acting like a Christian. We're even thinking, oh, he's way more thoughtful than I, than I am. But John says, in his heart, there was no love for God. There was no love for others. You see, he was the money keeper. And he liked to put his hand in the money bag just to keep it for himself. He looked like a Christian. He acted like a Christian. But in his heart, he was not a Christian. He did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. He was drifting and drifting and drifting far away from Jesus. Here's another situation. Old Testament. Lot's wife. You're talking about Lot's wife. She's a minor character in the Bible. Why would we ever want to talk about Lot's wife? You know, the Bible never gives her a name. But Lot's wife was surrounded by all the covenant promises of God. She had Abraham in her family. She had the promises of God in her family. Today, she would be known as that church member who has sat on the pew for years with all the blessings of the covenant around her. She went to Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot, and God called them out of it. But the Bible says to us that she loved the things of this world 
far more than she loved God. And even though God told her not to look back, she just couldn't help herself. She was walking this way, trying to follow God, trying to follow God, but she looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction God was raining down, and God turned her into a pillar of salt. Jesus thinks this lesson is so important, friends, that he says in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. And if Jesus says it, we need to pay attention to it. Right here are two people, New Testament and Old Testament, that look and sound and act like they're believers, yet their hearts are far from God. How does this apply? Do you remember the parable that Blair read just a moment ago out of Mark 4? It says that the sower was going to sow. He scattered seed on four types of ground. The hard path, the thorny path, the rocky path, and the good path. I want to zoom in and talk about the rocky path. The rocky path received the seed. And when it received the seed, the shoot shot up immediately. And it had the appearance of life. It had the appearance of, yes, I'm a real plant. But when the sun came out, when the wind started to blow, it withered and literally drifted away. Do you know why? Because it had no root. And right there's the clincher. It had the appearance of life. But when life started happening, when the rains and the wind of life started moving, it was swept away. It drifted away because it had no root. Unlike that tree in Psalm 1, right? Which was deep-rooted because it was deeply in love with God. Brothers and sisters, this is what Hebrews 2.1 says. Pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The word drift means exactly what I said about my family. It's like being in water, not paying attention, the ocean water, and you're affected by the current, and you don't even realize it, but you're slowly and steadily drifting away from Jesus. And what had caused these Hebrews to drift, it was that they had not listened. They had not paid attention. They had not paid attention to who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? We just learned about that, didn't we, in chapter 1. Let's review what they didn't pay attention to. They didn't pay attention to the fact that God had spoken through the prophets at one time, but now he was speaking through his son. They didn't pay attention to the fact that Jesus was the heir of all things, the creator of the world. They didn't care that he was the radiance of God's glory or the exact imprint of God's nature. They didn't bother to focus on the fact that Jesus upholds the universe, was made purification for our sins, and sat down at the right hand of God. Seven things about Jesus. Remember that number seven, it's it's God's number of completion. Then they didn't pay attention to the last part of chapter one. They didn't pay attention to not one, but seven, again, there it is again, seven Old Testament references that told how Jesus was better than angels, that Jesus is creator, Jesus is king. You remember all the words we went through last week? 
Jesus is better. They didn't pay attention to these things. In fact, instead of paying attention to these things, they drifted. And they said, wow, there's something over here that wows us more than Jesus. There's something over here that's a wow factor. It's called angels. And we are so wowed by these angels that it's causing us to drift away from Jesus. We, we get caught up in the smoke and lights of angels. And we went into depth in that last week. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. It'll give you context for what I'm saying. But they got so caught up in the creation that they drifted away from the Creator. Now let's boil this down like we did last week. And let's answer this question. What does any of this have to do with me? What's the application here? Friends, here's my question for all of us. What causes us to drift away from Jesus? What causes you, as you're focusing on Jesus, to look to the left or the right or to look behind you like Lot's wife did? What, what, are, you, what are you staring at? What, what, what gets your mind so that you lose focus on Jesus and you drift towards other things? Let's, let's talk about maybe a few things. Maybe you've had a difficult trial or trials in your life that you're going through maybe even right now. Maybe those trials have derailed you and you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe you're just busy. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, but you have a ton of kids and you are so busy with life right now that, that you have lost focus of Jesus. Maybe your work is so busy outside the home that you are that you were just so unfocused that you drift away from Jesus. Maybe you're pursuing a sin that you're not repenting of. And you're drifting away from Jesus. You remember that story a minute ago about my family in the ocean? We didn't even know we were drifting. Because we weren't paying attention. And when we started paying attention, we were a hundred yards from where we thought we'd be. Friends, the Bible is coming to us today, and it's just giving, a, giving us this, this, this reminder. Hey, pay attention. Pay attention to the thing that matters the most in your life. Friend, if you're drifting away from Jesus, I want to encourage you, take a deep, hard look at your heart and I want to challenge you to ask some very, very difficult questions. Here they are. Am I really saved? Or am I just drifting along like Judas? Am I really saved? Or am I just looking back, holding on to the world, drifting away like Lot's wife? Am I really saved? Or do I just have the appearance of life that when the sun comes out and the wind blows, I'm swept away because I have no root? These are hard-pressing questions, but the Bible's coming to us and saying, pay attention. 
This is the most important thing in your life. And stop drifting. Dr. Kruger said the opposite of drifting is pursuing. So instead of floating along, getting 100 yards away, run to Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Believe upon Jesus. Trust in Jesus, dear friends. Why? Because Jesus is better. So don't ever, ever give up. Secondly today, the Bible calls us to pay attention because God is just. Look back at your Bibles, verse 2 and the first part of verse 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, here's the question. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What's the world's idea of God? You know, many people in this world say there is no God. That's one view. But others will say, yeah, there's, there's a God, but he's definitely not a God of justice. God is just a tolerant old man that sits upstairs, that he's so relaxed that he's not going to hold anybody accountable for anything. That God thinks, I'm just going to tolerate everything and there's no consequences for anything. You know, there's a way to identify some of these people because they have license plates that look like, or bumper stickers that look like this. Friends, this bumper sticker represents a tolerant, non judgmental God. But I have a question for you. If God is a tolerant, non judgmental God, is there any reason to pay attention to a God like that? I mean, if you can do what you want whenever you want, and there's no consequences for what you do, you don't even need to pay attention to God at all. Just go eat, go drink, and be merry. But I've got a question for us. Is that the God of the Bible? It's not the God of the Bible. We know that. That's why the author of Hebrews is coming to every one of us and saying, pay attention, right? Pay, hear the warning sounds, go off. Don't think that God is just a tolerant, non-judging God. Pay attention, the Bible says, because if you embrace the world's idea of God, Friend, that is a false idea. Because if you think God is just an old man, a tolerant man, you're going to find out, the Bible says, that no, he's holy, he's just, and he's righteous. And the Bible teaches us that God will hold us accountable for how we respond to Jesus. Did he hold people in the Old Testament accountable? Absolutely. He held Israel, Israel accountable and had them wonder for 40 years. 
He held Nadab and Abihu. You say, who is that? Look up Leviticus 10. It's the first part of the chapter. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who messed with the priestly stuff and dishonored God in the way they did it. God took their lives. He held Uzzah accountable. Do you remember Uzzah? The ark was put on a cart being pulled by oxen. This is 2 Samuel 6. The oxen started to stumble. The cart started to get unbalanced. The ark was going to fall off. Well, what did Uzzah do? He put his hand on the ark, making sure it wouldn't fall. He probably thought he was doing a good deed that day. But he didn't pay attention to what God said. God said, do not touch that ark. In fact, it should never be on a cart. It should be poles through it. People should be carrying it. You're doing it wrong all to begin with. But God took Uzzah's life that day. Have you listened to R.C. Sproul talk about that exact situation? He has a great quote. I'm going to butcher it, but I'll try. He said, Uzzah thought his hand was cleaner than the dirt on the ground. That was the mistake he made. Pay attention. Here's why. If God is going to hold those accountable in the Old Testament when all they have is prophets, will he not hold us more accountable in the New Testament since we have something better in Jesus? Here's the way Hebrews says it. We'll put it on the screen. For since the message declared by angels, in this case the Old Testament, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, that's just the Old Testament God dealt with people. He says, how now, how shall we escape now in the New Testament if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you remember this drawing? We'll go ahead and put the drawing up. You can go to that real quick. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about shadows, realities? This is based on Hebrews 10.1. It says in the Old Testament God gave us shadows, but in the New Testament He gives us reality. And I told you the story about my parents coming down the hall, their shadow being on the, the wall. What's better, the shadow on the wall or my mom or dad? Well, my mom or dad's better, right? That's the whole point. The reality is better than the shadow. It says in the Old Testament, all you get shadows. The shadows of angels, of prophets. Declaring the word of the Lord, you get God's messengers. And all that's before the cross. But in the New Testament, God doesn't give us shadows. He gives us realities. He doesn't give us a messenger. He gives us the message. <laughs> the Word made flesh. The Son. Jesus, the Son is better than the messenger. We've learned that. So here's the point. If God holds a people accountable when all they get is just the messenger or the shadow, how much more accountable will we be when we don't get the shadow, we get the reality and reject not the prophet but the Son? Does that make sense? This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser, then how much more the greater? And you hear the warning signs. You You hear that siren going off. Because God says, if he holds these people accountable, we're going to be more accountable. And then here's the question. We'll put it back up. Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If these people couldn't escape, how are we going to escape if we have a greater accountability than they did? Friends, what this means is that you can't escape the wrath of God on your own. 
You can't. You can't do it. We're all going to be held accountable. We're all going to be responsible for our own sin. And that's some terrible news, isn't it? Let's see, it's right here where I get to tell you the good news. God has made a way of escape. You see, when Almighty God is aiming His wrath at us, the sinner, and the sinner can't do anything to get out of that himself or herself, God said, I'm going to love these people so much that even though my wrath is aimed at them because they're sinners, I'm going to send a Savior. You see, over here, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For over here, the wages of sin is death. And that's a bad place to be. But God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what Jesus did for you? When God's wrath was aimed at the sinner, He sent His Son, the Savior, and the Savior lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. Death held Him for three days, but He conquered it. Hallelujah! He rose. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God and He sent His Holy Spirit to take what He did and apply it to your life. That's salvation, friend. And all the wrath of God that was aimed at the sinner, it didn't disappear. It was turned and put on the Savior and the Savior quenched the wrath of God, satisfying divine justice forever. That's the doctrine of propitiation. Did you know that when we are held accountable by God when we are held responsible for our sin. If we don't pay attention and stay that way, the wrath of God will abide upon us. But pay attention to what Jesus has done. Pay attention to how much God loves you, gave His life for you, dear friend, accomplished your salvation, and the Holy Spirit desires to apply that salvation to your life. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And all of that wrath... The fury of God will be turned away from you. And you can know it's already been quenched. It's already been satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us then, believe. Believe, have faith in Jesus, and be saved from your sin. Friends, you see in this text that God is both just and merciful. He's just in that He holds us accountable. But he's so merciful that he says, I'm going to give you my son and he'll take it for you so that you, dear friend, can be saved. How beautiful is this gospel? But number three, let's pay attention because there is clear evidence of Jesus. Look at the last part of three to verse four. The last part of three says, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. What the Bible is telling us today is that everything that I'm teaching you about Jesus, everything that Jesus did, was authenticated by God. 
And today the Bible says it was authenticated in four ways. Number one, it was authenticated because it was declared by the Lord. It was declared by the Lord Jesus in His flesh. We believe that Jesus Christ is holy and completely God, yet God descended and wrapped Himself in our humanity. He condescended to us, wrapped Himself in our humanity in His incarnation, and Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus in the flesh declared to us who He is. Jesus said it this way, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And he was identifying himself as the I am of Exodus 3, the one who talked to Moses. He was telling us he's God. It says he was attested by the apostles. This is number two. What the, what the apostles saw and learned from Jesus, they told to others. And then they wrote it down in books. We have all the books of the apostles in the 27 books of the New Testament from people like Paul and Peter and John. It says that Jesus was attested by his signs and wonders and miracles. Think about this. Jesus turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. The Bible says that Jesus walked on water. He made a blind man see. He raised a dead man in John chapter 11. And then most amazingly, Jesus himself rose from the dead. How much more evidence do you need? God even said, they will know the evidence by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the evidence that you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit is an evidence attesting to the fact that Jesus is God and King? But friends, the problem is, even though all this evidence exists, people still don't believe. Which tells us, evidence is not the problem. Unbelief is the problem. Write that down. Evidence is not the problem. Unbelief is the problem. Jesus agrees, because here's what he said in Luke 16.31. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Evidence wasn't the problem. Unbelief is the problem. Do you hear the warning? In all seriousness, do you hear the warning? Are you paying attention? Or without even knowing it, are you slowly drifting away? Do you find that your mind and heart are so checked out concerning Jesus that you wind up a hundred yards from where you started spiritually? Friend, if that is you today, my encouragement Stop drifting and start pursuing. Start pursuing Jesus because we learn today that God will hold us accountable. And if He held the Old Testament people of God accountable when all they had was the shadows of the prophets, how much more will He hold us accountable living in the reality of the Son?
Because here's the question. We'll put it on the screen. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Friends, this is all the more reason to run to Jesus, for Jesus is the only one who made a way to escape the wrath of God. This same Jesus, who is authenticated by His incarnation, this same Jesus, who is attested by the declaration of the apostles, this same Jesus, who performed miracles, signs, and wonders, and gave gifts of the Holy Spirit, this same Jesus came to this world and died for you so that you can be saved. God is going to pour out His wrath and judgment one day. Are you going to be in line to receive that judgment? Or have you embraced Jesus, the Savior who came, because that judgment was put on Him that you might be saved Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Pay attention. Don't drift away. One last story. I got two more minutes. Bear with me. Every single one of us have a situation in life where we say, man, I wish I'd have paid attention. Right? Remember that algebra class where you didn't pay attention to that teacher? And you got an F on that test. Remember that? Maybe you didn't pay attention to your mom and dad and you dated a certain individual for five years, wasting five years of your life. Or maybe you cheated on your taxes and you went to jail for a couple years because you didn't pay attention to the laws. You know... While we live on this earth, we all have stories like that. But will you agree with me that for most of the time, the consequences we pay for those kind of mistakes are temporal? They're temporal consequences. Yeah, you might get an F on the algebra test, but three weeks later you can make an A on the next one and pull your grade up, right? Yeah, you might waste five years dating someone, but you learned your lesson. You can move on in life. You can do what God says for you. In dating. Yeah, you went to jail for five years or two years. You got out of jail. You can, you can do better in the future, right? So these are, these are temporary consequences for temporary mistakes. The author of Hebrews is not talking about a temporary mistake and temporary consequences. Dr. Kruger said it this way. Let us never get to judgment day and say, man, I wish I'd have paid attention to Jesus. Man, I wish I'd have paid attention to that pastor, that Sunday school teacher. I wish I'd have paid attention to my mom and dad who poured Jesus into me and I rejected them my whole life. Because on that day, there will be no second chance. Because we're not talking about a temporal consequence. We're talking about an eternal consequence. Friend, today, if that is you, and you are right there at that crux, and you know if you stood before God on Judgment Day, you would regret paying not, or regret not paying attention, you don't have to stay in that condition. <laughs> today, your sins can be forgiven. Today, you can know Jesus Christ. If you walked into this place not knowing Christ under the wrath of God, you can walk out of here being set free from your sin having a Savior cleanse you from all unrighteousness, knowing Jesus 
as Savior and Lord, go to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Embrace Him, dear friend, as your Lord, your Savior, your God. And I want to tell you, if you ever need to talk about that, I'll be happy to speak with you. We have so many men and women in this congregation who would love to speak to you. How will we escape, dear friends, if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's not neglect it. Let's pay attention. Let's pursue Jesus. Pray with me, please. Our Lord and our God, we find this teaching from Hebrews to be stepping on the toes of people who sit in church pews and chairs. And sometimes that is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to hear a warning. It's We don't like hearing a buzzer go off, but you do it in kindness towards us. You do it to say, wake up, pay attention, stop drifting. Let me refocus and put my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Lord, may every heart in this place today be turned not only towards you, but run towards Jesus that we might embrace you as Savior and Lord today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.